Thanks for joining us on the podcast today. If you have questions about our church or following Jesus, feel free to reach out to us at info at theplantchurch.org. Now, here's today's message. Jesus, thank you for this day. And God, I thank you for how we are wrapping up this sermon series. Today, God, we are done with being plugged in. But we're not done with it. We're done with just this sermon series. And God, I ask you that today would be a beautiful day to wrap up the series. Holy Spirit, I ask you that you would do some deep work this morning. God, I thank you for how you are at work always. In Jesus' name, amen. So let me ask you a question. How annoying is it is when your light doesn't work in one of your houses? You walk in your house, you turn on a switch, it doesn't work. How, many, how annoying is that? How annoying, right? And, and then you try to turn it on, and, you, and you're pressing the button, you're pressing the button, and it doesn't turn on. What's the first thing you do? What do you change? The bulb. And then you change the bulb, and it doesn't work. What do you do? Check the, 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 that thingy, right? That thingy, that thing that you click is called the what? The breaker. The fuse, right? And when you click the breaker... You turn it on and the light goes on, right? Or it better go on or you have to call the town and they call the county and then it's a bigger dilemma than normal. So this is what we're doing. What happens when you are plugged into Jesus and you feel like everything's going perfectly fine and all of a sudden it seems like the light's not working? What do you do? Do you just keep praying? Do you get frustrated? Do you persevere knowing that, that God is leaning you into something deeper, or do you quit? You see, here's what we're going to do is we are going to talk about the electric panel. That's what we're going to do. I don't know a lot about electricity except for this. I've had major electrical problems in my house. So anything I know about electricity has to do with my failure of my home. But so many times, it's not the bulb, it's not the switch. It's the connection. And today we are going to finish our sermon series being plugged in. It's just as Jesus was connected to the Father, we are to be connected to Jesus as well. And there are times in all of our lives, in every single one of our lives, it seemed as if God stopped speaking to us. But he hasn't. And what I want to do is I want to challenge us with, with what I believe is the most important aspect of your walk with Jesus, is learning to stay plugged into Jesus. Because when you are plugged into Jesus, you are plugged into the Father so that every single thing that God has ordained in heaven for you will come to fruition. And it's not going to be in your timing. And at times, it's not going to be in your way, but it's going to be the best. Amen? Turn with me to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. We are finishing up this, this final sermon series of Mark. And if you've noticed, whenever we started these little mini-series, we, we started chapter 1, and we go all the way through the end, and then we go back and forth and back and forth. And so today, we're ending at Mark chapter 9. Because Mark chapter 9 is significant. Because we've been talking about the supernatural aspect of Jesus. And once you get to chapter 9, this is right before he is led to Jerusalem for the final descent where he will be beaten, crucified, and then resurrected back to life. And so when you get to chapter 9, it's kind of like the, the last big hurrah of ministry. 
And so let's see what happens. It says here in verse 14, when they returned to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd surrounding them. And some teachers of religious law were arguing with them. When the crowd saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with awe. And they ran to greet him. What is all this arguing about, Jesus asked. One of the men in the crowd spoke up and said, Teacher, I brought my son so you could heal him. He is possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk. And whenever the spirit seizes him, it throws him violently to the ground. Then he foams at the mouth and and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. Jesus said to them, you faithless people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought the boy. But when the evil spirit saw Jesus, how powerful that is. When the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into a violent convulsion. And he fell to the ground, writhing and foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening? Jesus asked the boy's father. He replied, since he was a little boy. So in other words, this has been going on for a long time. This is not an episode in the sense I just kind of came over the boy, but this is something that was happening, happening repeatedly since he was a little boy. The spirit often throws him into the fire or into water, trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. What do you mean, if I can? Jesus asked. Anything is possible. If a person believes, the father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the crowd of onlookers was was growing, he rebuked the evil spirit. Listen, you spirit that makes this boy unable to hear and speak, he said, I command you to come out of this child and never enter him again. Then the spirit screamed and threw the boy into another violent convulsion and left him. The boy appeared to be dead. A murmur ran through the crowd as people said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and helped him to his feet, and he stood up. Afterward, when Jesus was alone in the house with his disciples, they asked him, why couldn't we cast out that evil spirit? Why couldn't we cast out that evil spirit? And Jesus replied, this kind can be cast out only by prayer. And one of the ancient translations says, by only by prayer and fasting. So let's talk about this background because Mark chapter 9 was significant. Remember I just said that? This was actually right after Jesus went with his three disciples to the Mount of Transfiguration. It's when Jesus was on the mountain praying to the Father, seeking the Father's face for what was next. And while he was seeking the Father's face, three prophets showed up, right? Two prophets showed up, right? Moses and Elijah. And Peter goes, hey, this is so wild. Should I make a tent for you three? And Jesus is like, dude, you're missing the point, Peter. Why you always got to miss the point? It doesn't say that in Greek. I'm just saying that that's how I would interpret it. And so they have this moment. 
where these three disciples are, are literally watching the prophetic come to life. You see, whenever God gives a prophetic word, it always comes to fruition. When he says it, it comes to fruition. When it's literally from God, it always happens. We see it all throughout the Old Testament coming to fruition in the New Testament. And I'll be very honest. Anytime God has given me a prophetic word, it never happens overnight. It usually takes five or six years. I told you, God is never on my timetable. Do I get an aha? Uh-huh? And if he's not on my, well, he's probably on your timetable. He just has, there's a lot of more perseverance that maybe needs to happen in my life, a lot of more patience. But, but it's in this. So, so they come off the mountain, and while they come off the mountain, Jesus' disciples were, were doing what they were doing, ministering to people. But there was a problem, that they were unable to do certain things. Now, let's be honest. If if you read this passage, there were certain things that I believe they were able to do, but there was one thing that they were not fully able to accomplish, and it was driving this father crazy because other things were probably happening for other people except for him. So this man runs up to Jesus, and he says, I came here for you, and you can't heal him. And Jesus is like, time out. I just came off the mountain. Your disciples aren't able to do it. And so all of a sudden, Jesus gives, does a little investigation. What's going on? My son, he has what some would say is an illness, but it's not. It's a demonization of himself. And for years, there, there's some weird reason that, that he has no reason why this child was being tormented by an evil spirit. The reality is, church, people are tormented by evil. Do I get an aha? And I think if we're fair, we can say that we have all been tormented by evil at some point in our life. And so, Jesus does what Jesus does. He speaks to the evil spirit. The evil spirit does what evil spirits do. They try to intimidate Jesus, but he can't stand in the presence of God. And the spirit goes. And the father gets his wish, his prayer request. And so then Jesus goes away with his disciples, and his disciples are frustrated. Remember that there's been several different episodes that that the disciples went on, and everything that they were doing was working. They would pray for people, and they were healed. The demons were cast out. The supernatural was happening. And all of a sudden, they ask the question. They say, why couldn't we cast out that evil spirit? And I think it's fair that we all ask the question is, God, why didn't you show up this time? Do I get an uh uh-huh? Right? Why couldn't we cast out this evil spirit? And Jesus gives an answer. He says, this kind can be cast out only by prayer. What does that mean? What is prayer? How does prayer work? And why does Jesus give this response? Now, I know right now that when I say this, somebody's saying, I pray all the time. Right? You're just shutting down right in this moment. No, 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 no. God knows you speak. But I want to teach you something else about prayer that I've been preaching on and teaching on for the last 14 and a half years of the church. You see, this is what Webster says about prayer. The act of asking for a favor with earnestness. Wow, that sounds pretty important. How many of us ask God for a favor with earnestness? Because I think oftentimes that that that's what we think about prayer. Hey, God, if you can do it, show up. Hey, God, if it's possible, 
And, and I hate when people say, well, well, I don't ask God because he's got bigger things on his mind. Really? You're the biggest thing on his mind. Mm. I could actually cry thinking that. But you are the biggest thing on God's mind. You see, prayer is not about asking for a favor with earnestness. This is what I think prayer is. Prayer is the posture of an individual that creates communication between God and that person. Prayer is a posture that creates communication between God and self. It is the essence in which a relationship between God and humanity is established. Prayer is our ability to sit in the presence of God, to actually know that God not only hears us, but he created us for us to be in that spot. And Jesus says that when we pray, anything is possible. If this is true, what is Jesus talking about? Because oftentimes there are times in our life when, when it seems like the light's turned off and, and nothing's turning it on. We're, we're flicking the switch. We're changing the light bulb. We're doing everything that we are told. Read your Bible. Go to church. Go to group. Show up to church. Just keep doing what you're doing. And you're getting mad at the wrong sources. You're getting mad at God when actually you're not doing the thing that God has invited you from the beginning of time to do, which is paga. The word paga means to meet, to meet with. You see, the prayer that Jesus is talking about is the very same thing that he was doing on the mountain. He was pagaing with God. He was meeting with God. And he was interceding. What does it mean to intercede? Intercede means to go between, to act between parties with a view to reconcile those who differ or contend. To intercede means to mediate. It's like a lawyer and a client going before the judge. To intercede means that, that you are mediating, that, that you are bringing your case, that you are waiting for a response. It's like a lawyer after he's gone to the judge and he's waiting outside saying, what does the judge want to do? You see, think about what Jesus was just doing. Before he came down in Mark chapter 9, he was pagaing with God. He was meeting with God. When we meet with God in a place of intercession, not only sharing our concerns and our needs, asking for a favor, and I'm saying that sarcastically, when we are saying, God, I need you more than anything in this life, and we step back and we allow God to then meet with us, something supernatural happens. You see, God, we got to remember that the New Testament was not a phenomenon. The New Testament was a culmination of everything that happened in the Old Testament. Think about this. In Genesis 18, Abraham interceded. He pagged with God over the city of Sodom. Do you know that? He met with God. He talked with God. He cried out with God. He begged God, and God spoke to him. In Genesis 32, Moses interceded for the Israelites. 
God wanted to kill the Israelites. He was exhausted of these people. And Moses said, give them another chance. For 40 days, Moses pogged with God. He went to the mountain. He fasted. He prayed. He sought God. And he wrestled with God. Jacob pogged with God. And he wrestled with God. Even in his own failures, Jacob said, please restore that which I have broken. We see this with Nehemiah and the people of God. When the wall was torn down, it wasn't just a, a nice brick wall. You see, every time you look at that wall outside, look, everyone look outside of the wall. I love having windows here. Everybody look outside. I'm sorry, online community. I'm stepping off real quick. Look out at the brick wall, those rock walls. Anyone know how long they've been there? Someone guess. Forever. <laughs> Seriously, how long has that rock wall been there? What? 1776. It's been there over 200 years. You know that? You know that? Over 200 years that was there. That was a place of defense, a place of protection. They said that George Washington built that wall. And that's not myth or legend. That's legacy. How cool is that? And so Nehemiah cried out to God, I want to rebuild the wall. I want to rebuild your city. Can I have permission? Even though I'm hundreds of miles away. And he waited for God's response. Acts chapter 9, when Peter was in prison, John Mark's mother, John Mark who wrote the gospel of Mark's, mommy, gathered the church and sought God. So Peter wouldn't be put to death because Peter was the rock on which the church was going to be built. And the church gathered and they sought the Lord. They worshiped. They sat in silence and they prayed. And all of a sudden, Peter showed up. And when he showed up, guess what? They thought he was a ghost. Do we even believe that God shows up? I mean, we are always surprised by God. Whenever God does what he tells us he's going to do, we're like, whoa, you'll never believe what happened. And you say that because you don't believe it was going to happen. Do I get an uh-huh? Right? We wrestle with that. But think about this. Real prayer not, not, not only believes that God exists, but that he can and does hear us and answers us. Real prayer expresses the conviction that God is my source of everything I need. God is the source of everything I need. God is the source of everything I need. And so when we talk about prayer, it, it's really an act of warfare. Everything I believe true about Jesus today began when I was 19 years old. The way that I seek the Father today is how I learned to seek the Father when I was 19 years old. One of the greatest spring breaks I had was not going to Florida and partying like a rock star. One of the greatest spring breaks I ever had was going to, everybody say it, Vermont by myself and seeking the face of Jesus. Why? Because I knew that I need Jesus, not for vocational success, but for divine intervention on my life. You see, prayer is warfare. Do you know this? I say this all the time, and, and I really learned it from this one author, Peter Wagner, who, who's kind of like a, a spiritual warfare guru, 
that, that, do we realize that our friends, our neighbors, our world, our government is blinded to the things of God? Blinded. We just say, well, you don't want to believe. They are blinded from seeing truth. They are blinded, but by the things around them that they're unable to see God at work. Look what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. He says, Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message, but the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. And when I wrestle with this, this is my thought. Because they are unable to see, because they are unable to recognize either God in their life or the one causing their turmoil, it is up to the church to go to battle for them. A battle, not in the natural world, but through the spiritual authority granted to us in Christ. Because this world is blinded, because some of the people that I love more than Anything else are blinded. Just like I was blinded and people prayed for me, my primary role is to go to war for them. And a prayerless church is a church that fails. You want to know why churches are failing around this nation? Because they don't pray. They pray almost like asking God for a favor. The church of God is to win. It was created to win. Matter of fact, this is what scripture says. And the gates of Hades, the gates of hell will not prevail. Why? Because we are granted the greatest weapons in all of eternity, and that's prayer. Because when we go to prayer, we unleash the hounds of heaven. Ephesians 6, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. We, we, we're okay with believing in evil, but do we believe that evil has an entity? Do we? Do we believe evil has a personality? And just bad things don't happen because evil is present. Bad things happen is because evil wants it to and wants it to happen to you and to me. Second Corinthians 10, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power, divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. What are these strongholds? Our mindsets, our choices, decisions that we make that oppose the things of God in our life. Prayer is our weapon given to us to tear down the strongholds that stand in the way of keeping the presence of Jesus amongst us. Let's come back to the frustration of the Father. I, I just think this is so poignant. How many of us have been frustrated with God? Do I get double hands? Double hands. Right? Anyone? Seriously. Right? How many of us have been frustrated with God? 
How many of us really believe that, that there are times that, that God cares more about others than he cares for us? There's a deep frustration. This man begged Jesus. He says, have mercy on us. Not just on him, but on us. And help us. Help us. Help us. If you can. If you can. If you can. I think the bigger thing is, if you're willing. If you want to. If you find me of value, if you find me of worth, because if we're fair, we we see God intervening for others. We see God showing up. We hear the stories. We see the lives. We we see things unfolded. and, And oftentimes, our doubt creeps in so much that it pushes us away from God knowing that there is the opportunity to be plugged in, but it's more like we're just standing there watching, sitting in the dark, saying, why won't you turn on? And there's this tension. And I just think about this whole idea of of Jesus. And I love what he says. What do you mean, if I can? What do you mean? If I can, Jesus asked anything. He he asked, what do you mean if I can? Anything is possible if a person believes. And I love how the father responds. Help me overcome my, everybody say it. Say it again. Say it again. Help me overcome my unbelief. The question wasn't whether or not Jesus could do it. The tension was, are you willing to do it for me? And that's fair. That's fair for all of us. But I think the biggest tension is this, is that we literally believe the Webster's Dictionary. That God's going to answer a favor. Got a flat tire, fix the tire. And we live in this Christianity that it's almost like, well, when I need something, God shows up. He does what I ask. Rather than sitting under his authority so I can live out the very single calling that he has for my life. The very single calling for my life. This is how I I, I try to live. The audience of one. That, that's my, that's my, kind of my mantra. That if nobody showed up this morning, I'm going to preach just the way that I am because there's the audience of one and he's sitting up there and it's not Todd Rumsey. <laughs> or Marvin, it's Jesus. That I know that every morning I wake up that there's an audio, audience of one that I live in such a way that I try to align my life under the authority of Jesus. Not that Jesus would live under my authority, but I would live under his authority. 
You see, this is what prayer does. Prayer allows us to align ourselves, our requests, our wills, and motives under the authority of God to do what is best and right for his kingdom work to be done in that individual's life. I live under the authority, so everything that he has best for me, I get to experience it. And too often we miss that. But here's what we have to remember. Why did this work for Jesus? Why didn't it work for the disciples? Because when you go back in Mark and you see that Jesus says, after the disciples met with Jesus and he sent them out, remember, think about Paga, think about meeting. After the disciples met with Jesus and they sent, and he sent them out and they all came back saying, Woo! It worked! Yes! They were healed! Let us tell you all the amazing things that happened. Like Jesus, it ain't a joke. You're supernatural. Or what we think is supernatural is your natural. Everything you do in your natural self is happening here on earth. You see, they met with Jesus. They spent time with Jesus. They went where Jesus told them. Camp Eggcorn. Jesus is telling us to host Camp Eggcorn. So why would we not sign up and volunteer? Right? Right? Baby, baby bottles. Holy Spirit put it on Megan's heart after she's been praying for our kids' ministry. And what happens? Baby bottles. Why would we not? If we pog out with God and he opens the doors to do certain things, we step through so we can be in the presence of Jesus as he walks with us. You see, what Jesus had just done was he just came off the mountain meeting with the Father. And after he met with the Father and this person brought this situation to him, he says, okay, I'll step in, I'll help, I'll get rid of this thing, and let's go on and do the next thing. The day wasn't done. It was part of Jesus' day. Jesus always went to the source. Do we go to the source? Or do we only go to the source when we need our outside sources to be met? You see, this whole sermon series, as we look at the Gospel of Mark, this is it. This is the summary. We're disciples because we are sitting under the authority of Jesus. We are counteracting against religiosity because we see what true re religion is in the eyes of Jesus, taking care of orphans and widows, right? When we meet with Jesus and we are plugged into Jesus, we want to give him all things and surrender ourselves to him, which means bring our sins to the cross so that he can resurrect life in us. And the only way to do this is that when we are plugged into a relationship with Christ. That's what we've been saying for the last six months. And for many of you, you've been tracking. You've been leaning in. There's a guy in our church right now that he came in December, struggling. This dude's been leaning in harder than most people ever lean in. And his answers aren't given yet. But I've been telling him, keep meeting with Jesus. Jesus 
will provide. As you meet with him and you get your life in aligned with him, he will show you the best. That's what it's about. It's not about you. It's about you living under the authority of Christ. Prayer is the vehicle that allows us to know that God is always there. Prayer is our vehicle to always know not only that he's there, but that he hears us and he responds to us in his perfect way and in his perfect timing. Prayer is our means to intercede, meet with God on the behalf of others whose situations seem as if nothing can fix it. Do you know that? And yes, I will say this, when I look at scripture, God invites us to ask him so he can just go, boom, boom, unlock, step through. Because there's one who is against you and wants you to fail. Because that which you value the most is where our greatest disappointments come from. Right? Being a parent. Our whole life is seeing our kids succeed. And when something happens to our children, that's one of our greatest disappointments. Do I get an uh aha? If you are married and your spouse cheats on you, your whole life was like, I'm going to wrap myself up in this human being and we're going to make this work. And that person has caused the greatest disappointment. Do I get an uh aha? When you have fought for your career, you went to school, undergrad, grad, master's, doctorate, all these things. And when something fails in your career, that's your greatest disappointment. And God's saying, your greatest appointment is every single day you meet with me. Because every time you make an appointment for me, I show you what to do, where to go. And even though those doors may be closing or these things have failed, my best is yet to come. And when you learn to paga, meet with Jesus, you realize your will in my life is best. Prayer has been the primary role in our church that has allowed this community to be plugged in, the lights turned on, to the incredible love of Christ. I want to challenge you. Can I have a, a, the, I was going to say offering. <laughs> I don't need the offering. Here. I need the communion. Let's take the communion. I'm challenging you today. Finish what Jesus started. And what do I mean finish? There's something you do so God can do all of his work in you. There's something you do so God can do all of his work in you. Should I say that again? There's something you do so God can do all of his work in you, and that's learning to meet with Jesus. Because when you meet with Jesus, you get to touch the Father's heart. 
When you meet with Jesus, you allow Jesus to reveal to you what is best and his plan and his purposes. And even though things do not unfold at your timing or at your place, his ways and his timing is always best. Remember last week? 12 years. 12-year-old girl, woman bleeding for 12 years. And she fought for God to show up. Some of you need to stand up and start fighting again. Think about this father with a son. His son was sick for years. And he said, I'll go anywhere. I'll climb any mountain. I'll do anything to meet with Jesus. You see, sometimes we need to stop running after the things of the world, and we need to just go into our room, shut the door, get on our face, open our Bible, and say, show up or I ain't leaving. Show up or I ain't leaving. Well, you're a pastor. You have to do that. See, I'm a human being. I'm called to do that. When you meet with Jesus, all things are possible. Jesus says, knock, it'll be open for you. Ask, and it'll be given. Seek, and you will find. He says, ask anything in my name, and it will be given to you. And what does it mean in my name? It means that when I sit under the authority of Christ, I say, Jesus, I'm asking you this. See, Jesus wrestled with his will. When he realized that the Father's will was best, he did one thing so the Father can show up. He said, this is my body broken for you. I'm going to do this so you don't have to. I'm going to allow my body to be broken so, so you never have to present another sacrifice at the temple. I'm the final sacrifice. And all sins, every sin is forgiven because my body was broken for this world. <laughs> That's a pretty big learning to meet with God and hearing. I'll do it. Let's eat. Then he took the cup. He said, this is the new covenant. Because of Jesus' work, we have the Spirit of God, not only in us, but amongst us. So when my heart cries out, it's my spirit crying out, the Holy Spirit living in me saying, Father, allow my heart to touch your heart. He says, this is the new covenant. You're invited to paga with me. You're invited to meet with me. You're invited that not only for the Spirit to show up for you, but to indwell you. Let's drink. There has to be a point in all of our lives that we look at prayer for what it is. It's our invitation to meet with the living God so that when First of all, that we're always plugged into him. But when things are really broken, things are always turned on. Things are always turned on. Things are always turned on. I want to challenge you. This week, 
Meet with Jesus. 30 minutes a day, meet with Jesus. Well, I don't have 30 minutes. Yes, you do. You scroll for 30 minutes a day. You do. Meet with him. And I'm not watering this down. I'm not saying five minutes a day, seven minutes a day, on your way to work. I want to challenge you to go meet with Jesus 30 minutes a day. And just say, I'm here to meet with you. Let him show up. Let him prove himself to you. Because when we go to him, he rests on us. Jesus, I ask you right now that we would be a church who meets with you. And God, I ask that you'd forgive me for so many times when I've done things in my own strength and I've gotten angry at you. Forgive me. God, I'm human. This week, may we meet with you. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. If this podcast has been helpful for you to know Jesus and make him known, then check out our website for more sermons and other resources, theplantchurch.org.